Hello, this is episode 10 of season four. Now in this episode, I'm joined by not one, but two amazing landscape designers, Julia Levitt and Fiona Erickson are the team behind Sticks and Stones Landscape Design. And we're talking about what a landscape designer does and how they can help your renovation or new home. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Our Get It Right podcast partner for season four is Colourbond Steel and their matte range. So Colourbond Steel matte is a great choice for creating a stunning, sophisticated and subtle look for your home in a material that is tested to withstand Australia's harsh conditions and be durable, long-lasting and strong for your home. As you may know, Colourbond Steel has been around for over 50 years now, so quintessentially Australian, it's been used in all kinds of projects in locations all across Australia with its tried and tested performance and its enduring style. The Colourbond Steel matte range takes this to the next level. With five colours to choose from, the matte range was tested for 10 years before it was brought to market. Sophisticated and understated, it has this gorgeous luxe feel in a material that's seriously strong and durable. There are so many ways that you can use it in the walls and roof of your home, whether you're renovating or building, to create the design style that you're seeking. With a beautiful and neutral look, it has an elegance that I know that you'll love and it diffuses light for a soft, natural, textured finish. And not only does Colourbond Steel Matte look gorgeous, being steel, it's also 100% recyclable, it's high-tech, it's tested and designed for the Australian climate, it's a choice for bushfire zones, it's able to give your home a contemporary and sophisticated feel and it has 50 years of history behind it as a brand. It's just amazing. So head to www.colorbond.com forward slash undercover architect. And that's C-O-L-O-R-B-O-N-D.com forward slash undercover architect. There you can learn more about this great matte range. You can request samples, which I really encourage you to do. And you can get inspired for how you could use it in your reno or new home. And stay tuned across the season as I'll be sharing more ideas and info to help you see how it could work for your project. Now let's get on with the episode. Now, as we near the end of season four, we've had some amazing professionals sharing incredibly useful information with us about what they do and how their role can help you in your project. In episode six, Luke Jones of Lark Collective talked through the role of a landscape architect in helping you with your outdoor areas and your exterior landscape design. Now, landscape designers are another discipline or profession that can also assist with the design and the construction of your garden or outdoor areas. So I'm really excited to be sitting down in this episode with Fiona and Julia from Sticks and Stones Landscape Design, or Fee and Jules, as they love to be known. Sticks and Stones Landscape Design is a Sydney-based dynamic and contemporary young business with an ambitious and energetic approach, and their stunning work has been published in several magazines, including House and Garden, Inside Out, and Better Homes and Gardens. And as I said, the team consists of Fiona Erickson and Julia Levitt, and they actually met whilst they were studying landscape design and horticulture. 
With Jules's passion for plants and Fee's background in fine arts, they discovered that together they had something special. They decided to harness their complementary talents and to take the industry head on. In 2014, Fee was recognised with a design award for her creative and innovative use of space. And shortly afterwards, Sticks and Stones designed a show garden at Grand Designs Live Expo in Sydney. Now, I remember seeing this uh, at the Grand Designs Live Expo that year, and there were these amazing freestanding installations done by various landscape designers, all using the same floor area. There were just these gorgeous little pods planted about inside the exhibition pavilion. And I saw Sticks and Stones design as this fresh, light, clever display. It was just, honestly, it was the most gorgeous urban landscape. It had a pizza oven and a barbecue, had this cluster of pendant lights that were hanging down and set against a beautiful textured brickwork and sculptural planting. And there was so much functionality and fun squeezed into this, you know, beautiful compact space. And I'll, I'll pop some images uh, and a link to it in the, well, I'll pop a link to it in the show notes and I'll pop some images on the blog so that you can check it out. Look, the wind's kept on coming. In 2016, Jules celebrated an Australian Institute of Landscape Designers and Managers, which is ALDEM, National Design Gold and Best in Category Awards. Sticks and Stones' projects include such varied work as designing office spaces in Fox Studios around a a bespoke hanging garden, uh, right through to lush northern beaches home gardens and compact courtyards in the inner west. All of their designs, however, hinge on two fundamental principles of garden design, creating a space that is aesthetically pleasing while still being highly functional. This achievement comes about through close discussion with the clients around their needs, a well-balanced canvas of materials and plants, and above all, attention to detail. Sticks and Stones approach each project individually and they work seamlessly to connect architecture with the landscape to create a unique space that transforms the client's experience of outdoor living. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? Because this is the thing, really. You know, most homeowners that I I speak to, they're seeking a beautiful, finished, new or renovated home. And nothing finishes a home or improves the quality or functionality or feel of your home like the landscape design does. It's great to sit down with Jules and Fee and discuss the role of a landscape designer and how they can help in your project. This is about the who, the what, the when and the why of using a landscape designer for your renovation or building project. So let's get into the episode. Well, I'm really excited to welcome to the podcast today, Fiona and Julia from Sticks and Stones Landscape Design, or Fee and Jules. And, you know, thank you so much to both of you for joining me. It's fantastic to have you here. I gave a bit of an intro uh, about Sticks and Stones Landscape Design and both of you in terms of your backgrounds, but perhaps, Fee, you could tell us a little bit about Sticks and Stones Landscape Design and, and how it works for people and, you know, a bit about the business. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. <laughs> um, well, we, um, Sticks and Stones is Jules and I, we're co-founders. Uh, we... Um, I think we look at landscape design in quite a unique way. We bring into it quite a wealth of knowledge from design and horticultural backgrounds. Um, And we just want to, I guess, enhance the space that um, our clients have. And we want them to be able to use the space that they've got, make make sure it's more functional and, I guess, guess in that user-friendly. You can also enjoy it from inside the house looking out, uh, with real estate prices at the moment, it just makes the make sure that you're using every single you know 
square meter of the space that you've got and also making sure just simple things you know um, design aspects of it for a shade in summer and um, sun in winter just I guess things like that that's those are the basics of where we come from and building a really good relationship with the clients so you know it's a collaboration that's how we see yeah, it. Yeah I love it because I think that um Landscape design is often one of the things that kind of gets cut out at the very end because the budgets run out or it even doesn't get factored in in terms of the overall thinking about the home. Yet most homeowners will always say that they want, you know, a really fantastic indoor-outdoor connection. You know, making the whole use of the site just makes so much sense, both from a, a lifestyle point of view and a financial point of view. So, you know, I love that there's this idea from both of you that it's so important to get that working on all levels and that it's super functional as well so that it's a great place to be. That's great. So Jules, perhaps you could explain a little bit about what a landscape designer actually does and, you know, what you can expect from really from working with one. Um, Yeah, sure. So landscape designers, we combined, you know, technical knowledge as well as design knowledge and horticultural knowledge as well. And we apply that to the design space. So as Fee was just mentioning, we try and integrate the outdoor with the indoor and make that flow seamless. So working with a landscape designer, you'll have that collaborative knowledge of not only the design, but also the horticultural and the plant background as well. So when you say horticulture, what do you actually mean by that? Do you mean plants and and the those kind of elements? Is yeah, that- so having an understanding of the plants themselves, what type of lighting, what type of soil to go along with the plants what positions they like to be sitting in, you know, everything down to the detail of how much root ball um, a particular plant size needs. So if you've got a really small retaining wall, details like that. So all that kind of knowledge is actually really important, particularly in smaller spaces, yeah, just having that knowledge. Yeah, so that the plants that you plant actually manage to survive <laughs> the yeah, location there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they are living things. Yeah the, yeah, the last thing you want to do is spend money on them and then them all die on you. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, So, Fee, I know that a lot of homeowners get quite confused about when they should bring a landscape designer on board. You know, they don't know whether to do it right at the beginning, before they start designing their project, you know, when they bring their architect or their building designer on board, after they've actually figured out the design that they want to do, or even to after the point where they're sort of on site, finished construction. Do you have any uh, recommendations for when is the best time to bring a landscape designer on board for your project? Yeah, absolutely. We we believe the earlier the better. So if you're designing a house with an architect, um, that's a perfect time to bring us on. Uh, we collaborate with architects and builders so we can consider electricals um, hardscapes drainage earthworks and and work it into the build Um, usually owners find then it works out best for the whole project and they can put some money aside for landscapes at the end so there's no surprises but having said that it doesn't we can come on after the house is built we also do renovations to gardens that are existing so we can generally work around a lot of a lot of different situations. Yeah. And I I love that idea, particularly, I think if you're trying to create that really holistic outcome where the indoors and outdoors do flow together, where it's working as a complete picture and that simple kind of 
constructability issue of getting services where they need to be, be it power or irrigation or anything like that. It does make sense in terms of uh, costing and forward planning and all of those types of things to, that when you're getting everything else dug up on site that you prepare for the landscaping design then at the same point, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes with an architect, um, when we're collaborating with them, we might make suggestions on where the stairs are that lead out to the back garden or just simple things like that and maybe like a window or a door because we can make that a focal feature in the garden as well. So when you're looking out from the house out, you know, you're you're making the most of the the whole space that you have. Yeah, I love it. That's a great idea and really great advice. So Jules, I, you know, my experience of a lot of landscape designers is that they're kind of a one-stop shop. So they do the design and then they'll also, you know, have contacts with tradespeople. They may even be on the tools themselves. They'll they'll basically create the design and complete the project in terms of uh, all of the hardscape and planting and those types of things. You know, is that always the case or are there other ways to work with landscape designers in the project? Because I know that a lot of people will be nervous about how they maintain, I suppose, a price competitive advantage if they've just gone to one landscape designer and they're getting the whole thing done with them, how they really know that they're getting the best price. You know, what are your thoughts around how that process can work and how it does work across the industry? Yeah, look, most most businesses and landscape design firms work a little bit differently. Um, Some are everything in-house, whereas there are other businesses like us that work the design and create the design and then they collaborate with other landscaping teams that they work really well with and um, trust and know that their quality of work is quite good. And then they will project manage and oversee that construction stage. So we feel that that's a really good process for us and also for the client because it allows them to have an opportunity to look at other construction companies and their quotes. Um, So we normally, depending on the the scope of the job and the build, um, we normally provide two to three quotes So we'll have the landscapers come out, they'll quote on the job, and then the client can have a real understanding of exactly how much the build is going to cost. And then through that process, we actually project manage it. So the client doesn't have to do all the liaising with the construction teams. We oversee that whole process. So we're there from the very beginning to the completion um, where we're planting, sorry, placing the plants um, and overseeing that whole process as well. Yeah, and I can imagine that removes a lot of headaches for the homeowner just to have somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Bringing all of those moving pieces together to make sure that they're executed in line with the design and any regulations and approval information that's had to be included as well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's there's lots of questions that arise on site as well as the build progresses. So um, we're always there. Uh, the landscapers always give us a call. They'll never make any decisions without speaking to us about it, um, which we redirect back to the client and just you know confirm that they're happy with the changes. Um, so the communication there's always a very direct open flow between all three parties, which is great. Yeah. And I think that's a really great understanding for a homeowner to have in terms of, you know, wrapping their heads around the fact that there are different models and different ways that their landscape design can be both done from a design point of view and executed on site. And I can see that, you know, it's it obviously then has a difference in the level of control that they have, the level of choice in terms of bringing different contractors on, being able to interrogate the price and price check that things are being done in a competitive way 
But in terms of working with somebody who's got that source of recommended contractors, being able to sift and filter out some of the ones that are less likely to do a great job for you as well. Because I can imagine you guys, you know, like a lot of people in your industry who have done this for a while, you build up a team of people that you know are reliable, do great quality work and can work um, to deliver the kinds of projects that you guys do. I also think that you've invested all this money in the design. You've spent, it could take up to six to eight weeks for the whole process of design, a landscape design, and you want the integrity of that design to be kept throughout the whole process. So I think that's really important when you are building it to to make sure you're choosing the right team that's going to have that respect for the design to, to make sure that the outcome is exactly what you want. Yeah, it's interesting. I've had similar conversations with some of the other design professionals as part of this series. And it's that's a really common theme is that I think we underestimate as homeowners how much time and effort we do invest in get, and money invest in getting the design right and not really understand that decisions can be made on site that will totally unhinge that work that we've done. And, unra- you know, just the simplest choice can completely undo that design intent very, very easily and without even a great understanding of it. If you haven't got somebody kind of helping you guard the design intent the whole way through or feel that you're capable of doing that yourself as a homeowner. So that's really great advice Mm. in terms of managing that process and the quality of the outcome Mm. overall. So in terms of tips for finding a a good landscape designer, what uh, perhaps Jules, you can chat to me about what your recommendations are for how somebody goes about finding a landscape designer, the kinds of questions that they should ask them. I think often they'll fall into the trap of getting people around and just wanting to mine them for information and advice about the outcome rather than remembering they actually need to interview them as a good fit for the job. So what what do you think in terms of, you know, the checks that somebody should do and how they can go about finding somebody that's reputable and going to be a good fit for them? Well, our industry has a um, an industry body called ALDEM, so the Australian Institute of Landscape Designers and Managers. It's a long one. Um, so Aldum. Aldum, okay. Yeah. And um, that's a really good website for everybody who's an accredited landscape designer or architect. And they, you can register, you can go take a look on there and you can see all the different links to people's websites, their work, um, where they're based, and that's nationwide. So that's oh, all fantastic. Over so that's A-I-L-D-M, D-M. is it? I'll pop a link in the show notes for that. That's yeah. fantastic. As well as um, I'd say Instagram is a really good one, so social media, because if you start to follow people and you notice that you really like their images, their work, then it's definitely worth checking out their website, giving them a call, because if that's a common theme that you're starting to enjoy the work that they do, the style of design that, they, that they've been portraying on their social media, then it's definitely worth giving them a ring. And I guess having said that, so when you do meet with the potential landscape designer, I think because as Fee was saying, it is quite a long design process. And particularly if it's a, your own private residential, it's quite you're quite involved and it's an investment. So you want to have really good communication and a really good rapport with that um, potential designer straight up. So on the first um, consult, we always say that you should be really prepared, have an idea of what you want with the space. We normally send out a questionnaire beforehand um, that just sort of gives you the opportunity to consider how you want the space, your likes and your dislikes. And then if the designer runs through all of that and listens to what you um, are interested in, I think that's really important. And they're taking into consideration exactly what you want and ask you the right questions. 
and you feel that it's a really good fit, sometimes it's not even really about the price point. I think it's more really about that communication and that's really important. Yeah, that's great advice because I think that, you know, we often we often underestimate just how much communication will be going on in that design briefing and design creation process and then in managing the work on site. And so being able to actually have a conversation with somebody, feel that you're being understood, that they share your vision for what you're seeking to achieve and that they kind of got on the same page as you quite quickly. You know, it shouldn't, um, I agree with you, it sh- that is a really key measure of uh, whether somebody's going to be a good fit for the project. So there's some great tips there in terms of finding someone and and, in, and checking too those credentials. I think there's the gut check, but then there's of course the paper check as well, yeah. isn't there? You don't yeah, want to leave yeah, that behind. It. So in terms of the costs for landscape designers, how they structure their fees, you know, I know that like most industries, the you know, the costs can vary widely. It can be based on uh, how a person runs their business, how they structure their costs, how they factor all of their costs in. Once you get a fee proposal from a landscape designer, though, what are the kinds of things that you should be looking at? Just so you can compare them and understand where holes might be or extra costs might come up in somebody else's fee proposal that's covered in one. You know, what are the key things that you recommend if you're working with a landscape designer from design through managing all of the work on site? What do you? What are the things that they should keep an eye on in their fee proposals? I think first of all, with the initial consultation, you'll find that some landscape designers charge and some don't. We we charge and the reason we charge is because we come on site and we'll meet with the client for, you know, an hour. We then feel like we can be free with our creative yeah. knowledge that I we think, don't yeah. we I'm don't guard it. More actually and I think, you know, I'm hearing builders charging for their initial quotes and a lot of designers are charging for their initial consults. I actually think it's a much better way for the industry to go because then you know, and we'll talk a bit more about how a homeowner should get prepared. But I think then everybody respects everybody's time. You know, you everybody can then feel free to invest the effort in the getting the right outcome and really understanding how that initial consult goes. So I love the fact that you guys charge because then you can turn up on site and know that you're you can just give freely of advice and knowledge. They can get a good feel for really what you know that you know what you're talking about and that you will be the right person for their project rather than everybody kind of dicing around the fact that they don't really want to give too much away until yeah, they're getting right. paid. And yeah, mm. so mm. that's fantastic. So Absolutely. how much do you charge for that initial consult? So we charge two fifty plus GST. Yep. And look, if it goes for an hour and a half or what however long the however long the client needs for us to be on site, you know, we're we're pretty flexible with that. Yeah. And it's just a really good gauge for both parties, I find, because you really do get a good understanding of what they want and also they get a good understanding of how you work and your approach to it as well. And I guess how open you are to both parties to change and to I guess what the ideal is of what they want the result to be. So so with the documentation, so after we've done the initial consultation, we'll go and put together a brief and quote for just for the design package. And in that will be what we call a concept design. So in our concept design, we produce a basic layout, which is to scale, we would have, sorry, to start back, we would have gone on site, done a a measure, taken some photos, we would have done our due diligence, we would have looked at the survey, 
imported the survey, gone through the whole concept design of the layouts, we would have addressed general like earthworks, drainage, issues like that. So that all gets done as part of that initial consult. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, no on the, the co- of the concept design. Oh, this okay, is what, yes. Sorry, this is what to expect in that concept design. Yep, okay. And then so also part of that, so then we've got we also do a perspective drawing as well so the, so the clients get a feel for it, an idea of the material palette and then I think, is that is that all, Jules? And then we... We would present to the client. So in that, again, there's another hour's consultation. So that fee, we break it down into a concept design fee. Yep. So That's a great first step, isn't it? Because you can see there that the design, even though it's still early in the, in the piece and there's obviously still opportunity to flex and change that design from that concept point, it's informed by reality. Like it's informed by actual understanding of your services, your site boundaries, you know, your topography, soil conditions, all those types of things. I can see that that it's a really meaningful and realistic place to move forward on. So that's, yeah, yeah that's a absolutely. great understanding it's, it's a really, it's, um, it's, it's a very visual design, the concept design. It's got a bit of a few, like your plant palette as well. So the client gets a good feel for where we're heading. Yes. And then if they, then there's a couple of iterations in that fee design as well. Um, design fee, sorry. Uh, then we go to, so that that's one stage. Then after that, we do documentation. So that would be all of the, I guess, what we would call in a way dry drawing. So we do the set outs, the hardscapes, the material schedule. The so by dry drawings, plan. you mean kind of all of the stuff that isn't planting? Is that what you mean? And oh, then- sorry, what I mean by that, do they are the drawings that the builder would use to build the garden? Okay. So they're the drawings that you would actually take, the construction drawings that you would actually take then. That's what we use to tender from. And you need those. So in I guess in the design uh, package, you've got concept, then you've got construction drawings. So that's it's pretty simple like yes. in terms of those two stages, but you need to, to go through those processes. So when you're looking, when you as you said before, comparing apples and apples, when you're looking at different contractors and their, their fee breakdown, that's what you need to be looking for to make sure that you're getting the same amount of drawings in each package I would say yeah do you agree yeah I mean I think and like Fee was saying those construction drawings they're really important because you can't actually build from the con- the concept drawings so the construction mm. really lays it out there's like detailed drawings you know if you've got really specific things in the the, the design something like a cantilever bench seat or specific retaining walls with finishes and things like that it's all detailed up for whoever is actually going to construct it, how they construct it, you know, down to the nuts and bolts and things like that. So all of that is accounted for in the two different stages um, and all that's quoted at the initial brief and quote stage as well. Yeah, and I think it's worth um, understanding, you know, for the homeowner that there's, uh, you know, more and more our landscape designs involve quite a bit of building work because they might be on sites that aren't perfectly flat. They're small sites that they might want to be creating kind of segmented areas and using walls and things like that to do that. And so having that information about how does that wall physically get built, making sure that it satisfies statutory regulations in terms of any engineering requirements, council requirements, all of those types of things does require a level of skill and knowledge, I think, that it's important to have some professional input on. So, and you can see, obviously, you know, I often say to to uh, people that whatever doesn't get drawn just gets assumed mm. and often 
gets assumed in exactly the opposite way to how you actually planned it to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, you can't expect True. that everybody knows. Yeah, until it's down on paper. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, and it's the it's the true way to be able to execute control over a project in your um, otherwise, you know, you kind of need somebody standing on site, commandeering exactly how things need to be, and then of course you can run into problems with cost blowout because they didn't price it because it wasn't yeah. on the drawing, and yeah. So I can see that that's um that's great information in terms of just checking the fees to see what the scope of works includes in terms of it not just being a little, you know, a little concept drawing with some colours and planting recommendations. That's fine if you're then willing to fill all of the gaps in terms of, okay, what does this wall look like? How's it structurally designed? How's it going to be built? What's it built from? Do we need to worry about water? Do we need to worry about drainage? You know, I think um, I think that's all really great advice. There's also um, when like when you're building a house, you either through do it through DA, so development application or CDC. It's the Which same is development. Yeah, so it's Flowers, um, isn't it? yep. so it's similar to that in landscape as well. So some of our works, depending on how high a wall is, or there's we have to comply as well. So those drawings would be fit for DA, and that's a whole different set of drawings as well because you don't need your construction. Um, drawings at that stage you just need a DA drawing so again it's just knowing what you need and having that conversation with the designer and 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 then I guess once you've done that drawing then you would have to go back and and do those construction drawings and that would be another fee again on top of it so yeah no that and that's a great point that if you can understand up front from a council application point of view not only what you're going to need to get your home project approved but what you'll need to get the landscape design approved as well then that can help you brief the landscape designer as to what they need to include in the fee on your behalf to make sure that you're ticking all of those boxes um, and get and able to actually get your council planning approval and then be able to execute the work according to the approval that you've received. So mm. that's, that's great. So, Jules, you touched on before um, that initial meeting and what people should look for in terms of how they speak to the landscape designer, how they kind of get a feel, the checks that they should do. I think that, you know, a lot of us will um, we'll start to get ideas by looking at Instagram accounts or by looking in magazines. But, on, you know, honestly, I think when you're sort of designing, be it a renovation or a new home, you've got very grand ideas about how you want that beautiful indoor-outdoor flow to happen, you know, and and how you want your outdoor landscape design to come into play as part of that result. And then, of course, that's all overlaid with, with concerns about how much the whole thing's going to cost you. <laughs> so... How how do you recommend people get prepared so that they don't kind of limit themselves from the start, but they, they're able to give, I suppose, the potential landscape designer that they're speaking to enough information to help them get an understanding of what they're seeking to achieve, be able to give them really good advice about, you know, budget constraints, whether it's in online with what they're sort of thinking and, and how all of that sort of goes together in terms of actually showing the landscape designer at that initial meeting what their thoughts are around what they're wanting. So before we meet, when we schedule in um, the consultation, we always send through a questionnaire and that goes through a broad range of questions, anywhere to, you know, what do you want to achieve out of the space to do you have any kids or dogs or pets? Um, you know, how big is the space? Do you have any concerns in the space of whether it be something as small as privacy um, or extreme level changes, things like that, just so we have um, a really good understanding of the space before we actually arrive and if they are intending on doing any sort of larger structural changes like a pool, decking, any of those kinds of things, 
And then we also asked the budget question, which you touched on, which I think is really important. 99% of people leave it blank. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not the UA community. They know how important it is. (laughs) That's right. Um, And I mean, we, and we always bring the questionnaire. We we always have a brief read through it before. And then we arrive, we always encourage, as you said, visual images, because that's really important as well. So often people will send us links to the Pinterest page or their Hounds account or Instagram and things like that, because that is really important. And then sometimes people also say, this is what I hate, which is great because yeah, that's, that's just, just as li- important yeah, is, as what yeah. they do like because that really dictates a direction that we don't want to be going in. And quite often people don't understand why they like it. So we kind of sort of say, okay, what is it about this space that you do like, colors and things like that. So when we arrive on site, we go through that questionnaire with them and we address all their points. Um, and that's just going back to what Fee saying, just so that they can see exactly how we communicate with them, how we're going to address the areas and all of that. But the budget question we always do ask because it kind of does dictate how we're going to design the space, how we are going to navigate through those problem areas because we can design something that's going to be amazing. Um, It's going to be beautiful, but if they've got a very limited budget, then we're just wasting everybody's time. Um, And I think people, when they look at the budget question, they get concerned and they get cagey because they don't want us to overextend the budget that they have or don't have. But it is really more about making sure that we're working towards a budget that works for them and that we're designing within those parameters. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because I know that a lot of people have that fear that if they divulge what their budget is, that then the person coming will just basically propose a design that meets that budget and won't Mm. do anything to kind of help save them money or anything like that. And if anything, they'll just spend more. In terms of, but I I can understand too, you know, there's calculators online that help you kind of figure out your project budget and you can talk to builders about square metre rates. Do you give people advice, you know, if they sort of say, I have no idea how to even set this budget? Like what what are your thoughts in terms of advising them about you know, sort of what the benchmarks of what their budget could be and, you know, I know it's kind of probably how long is a piece of string, but it's that yeah. that thing of if I have no idea where to start, what do I even tell you in terms of, you know, how much I want to spend? We don't, we don't generally like to give figures on site, especially at the first instance, because then the client might kind of have that in their mind and that's sort of what they stick to. We do... Um, and it requires a bit more of a design process, doesn't it? Definitely, really yeah. We do um, discuss estimates throughout the design process so that we all know that we're heading in the right direction. But when it does come to the initial consult and and budgets and numbers and things like that, they a lot of people have absolutely no concept of what a landscape costs um, and what their garden will cost to build. So they might mention something like, you know, oh, we're thinking more like 20,000. And we might look at the site and see that there's loads of level changes. There's going to be a lot of excavation work and say, well, look, unfortunately, we can't tell you exactly how much it's going to cost because we haven't started the project, but that's basically not going to be nearly enough. So then at least they will have a good understanding that they're they need to reconsider the whole process and the project and maybe they need to pull back what they were expecting. So we, we can't give them an idea of how much it will cost, but we can say sort of this is the, the budget that you need to be looking more towards. Would you agree yeah, with that Yeah, I one? think and sometimes actually recently uh, on a few projects where we haven't really known how much it will be, uh, we've completed the concept, which was the, you know, the pretty plans with all, the, you know, the, the things in it that the client wants. Then we'll go and ask our contractors to go out and do an estimate. So at least then we have a range. Like if they're not fixed on that figure, they might give – 
a range of 40 to 50. So at least we know then, then if that's not applicable, if that's not going to work for the client, then we'll go back and redesign, look at materials, change masonry walls to timber walls, whatever it is, um, to try and make sure it can fit in the client's budget. So that's something that that everybody can do. Yeah, it's that iterative process, isn't it? And and I think, you know, I, I suppose that whole thing of, just at least having a figure in mind at the beginning of your project. You know, if you're describing something that a landscape designer knows from experience is going to be a $50,000 project and, you know, it's got water features and all those and retaining walls all through it and you turn up on site and the, and the homeowner says, I only want to spend 5000 but this is what I'm describing, you know, you can immediately see that there's going to be a mismatch. But, again, it's, mm. you know, I, I often say to the UA community that, in working out your budget, you've just got to start somewhere that gives people an understanding and a framework and then un- and then uh, adapt and change as you go so that you're always tweaking, revisiting and checking in to get good costing information as you resolve the details so you don't hit that horrible experience of getting to the quoting point, it being two or three times what you wanted to spend and you've invested all this time and energy in something that you can't actually afford. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I think also to be aware of third-party billing so in that I mean so an arborist an arborist report survey we don't we generally don't yeah come into it yeah so we generally don't do anything without a survey yes and there's there's different degrees like you don't need a huge amount of detail in a landscape survey but depending on the site again is to you know um what their fees will will be engineers engineers yeah. yeah And do you you help people understand that at that initial consult in terms of, you know, sort of the other consultants that they might need to bring on board based on your assessment of what you see in their their garden area? So when we would generally, during our due diligence, before we go on site, we might have a quick look and see or we'd have a, um, they might have sent us through the architect's drawings or an idea of what they're doing. We would generally know whether it's a DA, so a development application. We would generally know if it's a CDC or if it's um, so compliant development or if it's, you know, if it's in a bushfire zone, if it's in, what else is it, like riparian zone. There's all these mm. different... So generally what those council overlays are. Heritage protected. Yeah. yeah. And like then what, yeah. what impact they'll have so on then the hoops would, you have to jump through yeah. and the extra consultants you'll have to bring on board. Yeah, so absolutely. It and, is. It's a very yeah. similar exercise to the actual you know the home design isn't Mm. it so and I think a lot of people may forget that that they think well I'm just going to put a garden in at the end and not realize that there are equally some obligations in terms of satisfying the various rules and regulations so understanding whether they actually have to get town planning approval whether they can go straight to a building approval whether you know they do need all those extra experts in train and things like if they're planning on cutting down trees and that kind of stuff. It's not just going willy-nilly at it, but actually getting some good information up front. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Fee, in terms of what can go wrong when a homeowner chooses either the wrong landscape designer, doesn't, you know, in terms of them not being good fit or doesn't have the right expertise or, you know, perhaps hasn't priced the project the way that they, you know, thought that it was going to be priced, what, what are your... I suppose, uh, insights in terms of what you've seen go wrong when somebody's not chosen a landscape designer well for their project? It's unfortunate and it's it's the whole project, is it's emotional because it's usually your home or an investment property and it takes a lot of time and energy and you've invested all this trust, I guess, in somebody and you're hoping that they're going to be able to do what you want them to do. I think communication, trying to communicate 
your way through it and navigate through it. I mean, if that's not going to work and it's terminal, I think I think at the beginning it's really about doing your research, as Jules said, looking at you know Instagram at their work, getting referrals or um, references, looking to make sure that they're accredited. I guess, and also just it's about making sure that you feel like you're they're listening to you and they understand what you want. I think that's key. Yeah, and I think that um, it's hard, isn't it? Because you probably, you do, particularly when it's your home and it's money that you're potentially borrowing on a mortgage or you've saved up for a long time, you can kind of go heart in hand with a lot of trust, making that sort of leap of faith that this is going to be the right person for you. But time and time again, I've seen... When it has gone wrong, the homeowner will say, I just didn't pay attention to the red flags. They were there Mm. and I just didn't, you know, I didn't do the paperwork check. I didn't do the accreditation check. They said that they were this and I believed them and I didn't really do my homework. So, you know, and it is hard because you can run into that problem where they're A, not qualified to do what they, you thought they were. B, you know, you've just explained all of the hoops that you might have to jump through from a regulatory point of view with those extra consultants. And if they're not qualified to understand that then you could run into a whole lots of trouble with not getting those people on board and um and so I think I'd really encourage people to really treat finding the landscape designer with as much care and intention as they have finding the designer of the home because clearly there's as equally as many risks as what can go wrong yeah it may be a smaller budget overall but it's still a big impact on your project isn't it so yeah absolutely I I always think referrals are just so 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 key in in um, design as well because people have already worked with them they've built that rapport and you're only ever going to refer the best people that you've worked with and if not, as Jules touched on before, the industry bodies, you've got accredited people, you're within your rights to ask if they're insured and also for, for their references, as I, as I said. So, and speaking to the people that they've worked with, usually if they've left a job that and everybody's happy, then those people will definitely refer them to you. Yeah, there's some great tips. Thanks, Faye. So... Jules, in terms of actually working really well with your landscape designer, so you've you've interviewed one, the fee proposal's turned out well, it's covered all the bases, you've got a really good feel for them. What what are your recommendations for establishing a really great relationship with the landscape designer that then bodes well for the project overall in terms of how you work together? I think, and we keep going back to this, but I think communication <laughs> is yeah. so important because a lot of the times people will often not really – they'll, they'll kind of think that they've communicated what they want out of the space and then it'll come to the concept and, and will present and they'll kind of go, oh, I didn't want that at all. So I think at, the, at that initial consultation, I mean, giving as much information as possible, even if you don't know what you want, just providing as much information of what you out, want out of the space, um, even if you don't know much about design, um, about the finer details. And I guess – that kind of leads into trust. I think trust is really, really important because, I mean, you're engaging in a landscape designer because you quite often don't, as a homeowner, know about things like plants and outdoor spaces and designs and materials and things like that and the construction. So you're tr- you're putting your trust in this person. So it is really important to just be open to new ideas, new concepts, um, and just trust that they know what they're doing. Yeah, well, if you've done all your homework and you've done all your checks... Yeah, I think that's really, you know, I I see then people still not making, putting that trust in that person. So, 
and and I think that yeah if you if you have done all of that research to choose the right person for you mm. then then yeah trust them and listen to them when they actually are giving you advice because they're the ones that do this every day yeah that's right and I and I think also having an understanding that be patient because the process does take a lot longer than people expect I think, as you said, like people sort of think, oh, okay, we'll just sort of chuck up, you know, a garden out the back and that's sort of it at the end of the process. And by the end, if we're coming in at the end of a renovation or a new build, people are tired, they're over it. Yeah. <laughs> just not interested. I do so, not want people here yeah, yeah. Uh, they just They just kind of want it done. Mm. But I guess if you go into it knowing that this person is going to guide you through the process, you're going to trust them, you're going to communicate everything through with them, um, and it might take a bit longer than you expect, but... If you're open and you try and enjoy the process, then you'll get a really good result in the end. I think that's probably the the best way to look at it. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I think, you know, what I, what I often see happen for people is they don't budget it in early enough. They don't design it in early enough. They It gets left off the table in terms of being able to spend money on it and they move in and pretty much can just afford to put some turf down and that's about it. And you've invested all this energy and effort and time and money in creating a beautiful finished home that feels great on the inside but can't enjoy it in its totality because their landscape isn't done. And And I, I really encourage people generally to make sure that they leave their budget you know, component for landscape protected so that they can actually have the finished home that they've been dreaming of and get that full sense of relief. Because as you say, it's mm. a big, it's a big project, big, you know, time frame, and, uh, and a lot of um, emotional uh, investment of energy and time and um, to move in and just be looking out at dirt. <laughs> yeah, that's you exactly know, right. You're walking up your gravel work. path yeah. <laughs> into yeah. your beautiful new home. I <laughs> know. Oh, so, yeah, and it's, um, you know, just to get that really great immediate feeling of finished um, yeah. and we did this, you know, I think the landscape design. Well, Jules and Faye, it's been such a pleasure to have you both here. I feel very spoilt having both of you. So thank you very much for making the time. And yeah, I've just loved hearing about you guys. I actually initially found you on Instagram and uh, and followed your work there. You do some stunning work. So it's been really thank lovely you. to have you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So as I said earlier, landscape design, it's its truly one of those things that actually finishes a home and it's often the first thing to be sacrificed from the budget or taken on as a DIY project when the budget gets tight. I think often we underestimate the labour component of executing a landscape outcome in our home, be it through the paving outside or any other walls or retaining walls that we might be doing, fencing, the planting, just the there's sheer number of hours and effort and the physicality of the work can often surprise people when they take it on as a DIY and can often surprise people too in the way that the budget gets shaped just because they're obviously paying for people to do that labour work for them. So I really hope that this episode's given you some insight into how working with a professional as a landscape designer can add value to your result and can help your project overall. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Sticks and Stones landscape design and have a chat to Fee and Jules, make sure you head to the show notes because I'll have links to the website and social pages there so that you can get in touch. And as Jules recommended, you can head over to their Instagram account and have a look at photographs of their work. 
In the next episode, I'll be talking to Dwayne Pierce of D Pierce Constructions. Now, Dwayne is a builder with over 20 years experience and he's passionate about improving the building industry for everyone, especially the homeowner. Dwayne believes that building a new home or a renovation should be an enjoyable process and he's got key tips to help you with your project. So join me then. Now, before I finish, remember that our season four podcast partner is Colourbond Steel and their mat range. A lot of homeowners tell me that they're interested in creating a sustainable home, but they're not quite sure if it's going to cost them a load more in their budget to do this. And it doesn't have to. So often it simply comes down to making choices that serve you and your home over the long term. And so this includes your material choices. If you can choose materials and products that are durable, long-lasting and fit for purpose, this will go a long way in creating a sustainable home. So Colourbond Steel is durable and it's resilient to Australia's harsh climate and is proven to last for the long term. All Colourbond Steel contains recycled content and is 100% recyclable. And this includes their mat range as well. So it's a great choice from a sustainability point of view. Consider also how you'll create outdoor covered areas around your home and how you can make great choices for roofing so that these outdoor areas feel integrated with your interiors and you get that lovely indoor-outdoor flow that always makes homes feel great. Creating a great-looking roof in Colourbond steel mat that extends out over covered alfresco or outdoor entertaining areas can be a great way to achieve this. So Colourbond Steel Mat Range can also be used on the underside of these outdoor areas and that can create a stunning effect and be super easy to maintain and durable for your home. So remember to head to www.colourbond.com forward slash undercover architect and so that's C-O-L-O-R-B-O-N-D. So colourbond.com forward slash undercover architect and you can request samples and get lots more information and see example projects and really get some inspiration for your design. Thank you for tuning in to the Get It Right podcast with Undercover Architect. Now, if you head to the Undercover Architect website, you'll see loads more helpful information on how to get it right when designing, building or renovating your home simply and with confidence. Not only can you see all the podcast episodes there, there's also a wealth of written blogs and videos too covering all sorts of topics. And there's other ways as well that Undercover Architect can give you more support and guidance for your project. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please subscribe so that you always get notified of new episodes as soon as they go live. And I'd love it too if you could please leave a review. (laughs) I know that iTunes doesn't make it easy to leave a review, but when you do, this is super helpful in spreading the word that this podcast exists to others who really need to hear it to get help with planning their future homes. This has been Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. Thank you for listening and for letting me be your secret ally. Looking forward to next time. Bye.